Welcome to Credit Union Discussions, the podcast where we meet exciting people from the world of credit unions and discuss the latest news and trends. In this episode, I'm joined by Lorraine Corcoran, Chair of the Credit Union Advisory Council, which reports to the Minister for Finance. And Lorraine is also a Director of Affinite, where Lorraine's work includes financial inclusion, social economy and the corporate social responsibility. Lorraine's commitment has been instrumental in helping credit unions tackle money lenders through her work in the personal microcredit scheme and the It Makes Sense loan. And we're going to find out more about Lorraine's work shortly. Lorraine, you're very welcome to the podcast and I'd like to thank you for joining me. Thanks a million, Michael, and thank you very much for having me on. Delighted to be invited and it's lovely to see an initiative like this take place. Yeah, hopefully we'll use this as a forum to... Just talk to people around the country involved in credit unions and bring interesting people on and interesting views as well to people around the country to so, so credit unions around the country can think more about the strategic challenges that they're facing. So that's hopefully this will be the start of, of many episodes around that theme. Absolutely. No, it's great. Great to see. And, and the more those conversations take place, the better. Absolutely. Um. I was going to say, before we kick off, can I ask a very topical question, given the timing in terms of how your canvassing is going for your for the league board votes, which are due shortly? Yeah, so so far, so good. The canvassing appears to be going quite well. I've had a lot of contact with credit unions. They, as I say, I did a, took a different approach than many other candidates. I was quite active on LinkedIn, on YouTube with videos. And the feedback has been received on those has been quite good. The number of views quite high as well. The LinkedIn posts have got very good traction and a good few credits have contacted me saying that they've given me the number one vote. So I'm quite confident, even though we're still about two weeks out, I'm quite confident that I will hopefully get elected to the league board. So thanks. Thanks for asking. Very good. Well, good luck with it. So before we get uh, involved into your work on QWOC and Affinite, I'd love to know more about your background before you set up Affinite. What did you do beforehand and what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, um, well, I started off after I left college. I joined uh, Bank of Ireland, actually, and I had a career of almost 20 years in financial services, moving around different departments and everything from frontline, you know, serving customers in the cash box through to, you know, big deals and, and transformation programs. So I got a, a great view, I suppose, of, of the financial services sector there. But when I looked at it and I looked at the path ahead, you know, it increasingly became, it was clearer to me that maybe that wasn't the, the full path that I wanted to pursue and I wanted to do something different. So what okay, I did so. was, um, and I suppose these things, you know, they take sometimes a while when you're thinking of what is, I suppose, a career change, but and I suppose getting it right and, and thinking through the different things. So what I did was while I was still working, I did a part time master's in DCU and I picked a master's topic that was very broad. So it's international relations is what I did it on. And that allowed me over a two year period attending part time lectures and just just was having broader conversations and understanding what was interesting me and what wasn't that it allowed me to think of actually where do I want to go to next? And I suppose DCU, I, I really enjoyed. I have to say they have a huge social ethos there. And um, it throughout the master's, what I did was I focused on the social enterprise aspects of each of the courses. And increasingly, I got involved in that. And that's what I ultimately did my thesis on. And that allowed me come up with the idea of actually, you know, how do we bridge the spaces between what is the social world and what is the commercial world? And when they work, 
together, they can really solve problems for everyone. And how could I possibly get involved in, in I suppose, a, a employment in working in that area? And that's where Af and I came from. It was like, OK, let's see if we can make something happen here where we bridge these worlds. Yeah, very good. So very much in the corporate social responsibility side then of, say, when you take say, the bank and the role of the bank, trying to bridge their role. And they have a very important role to play in society, but trying to bridge their role in the corporate, so the corporate social responsibility, to say, to tie the two, as you said, a corporate end together with the social responsibility end. And have you done, have you had much input into corporate social responsibility with different companies so far? Yeah, so I suppose there's three big things that we're, we're working on and we're, we're a small organisation. And, you know, I suppose even when you look at COVID and, and remote working, we've always been remote working. So it's it's been great for us in terms of just being able to continue that. But, you know, we're we're very nimble. And what we do is projects either in corporates where we would work with them on what's their social purpose and how do they achieve more. And especially what we like doing is working where we can attach them into the social sector. So you're bringing the different players together. Um, another big piece of what we do is around financial inclusion and the personal microcredit and the It Makes Sense is a perfect example of that, where I suppose you're bringing together the um, the government, you're bringing the social sector together, and you're also bringing some private companies in terms of your IT providers or, or different players to say, look, how can we get together to, to solve a social problem? Um, and then another big part of what we do is around social enterprise. So uh, we were very lucky and I suppose timely to be involved in a research program which fed into the first national social enterprise policy in Ireland. And that uh, that was a piece of research that took place over a number of years, basically providing the uh, Department of Rural and Community Development with the information and components whereby they could then pull together a national policy. So very involved in that. And a lot of what we would do would hang out of of that that world and that social enterprise space. Yeah, very good. Like, like it's something I think that people have become much more aware of in the last couple of years. And you especially see younger people, millennials, as they're called, where they very much have a very strong social conscious. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, that social conscious wasn't there. But people have become are becoming much more aware of what's close to them and what's around them and the importance, be it environmental or be it social social fairness and equity. And I think we're seeing that through. So I think your timing of looking at it has, has been very good as well. And I think it's something that we all need to focus on and we need to consciously make a decision to do it as well, because we all get busy and get caught up in our day to day life. But if we don't consciously make a decision to try and consider the social impact of what we're doing, you know, just life will just pass us by and we'll look back in a number of years and say we should have done more. So I think it's, it's behoven on us all to actually do more actively on a daily basis. Absolutely. And and the little things we can do actually make a difference. And I, and I think you know, more than yourself, you're probably getting that pressure from your kids as well and, and the younger generation of actually asking you, why are you doing that? Or why aren't you doing this? So it's 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 great to see. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's great to see that the efforts that they go to as well themselves, whether you agree with it, with what they're doing or not, like they're all they're making their own small efforts themselves, and it's great to see them doing that, and they've got great confidence in their in themselves to do that as well. So that's fantastic, and and look, we need more of that, and I suppose credit unions are very much living that as well on a day to day basis, and always part of that community. But I think even as credit unions, we need to be reminded that we need to do more. It's not just enough to accept what we're doing at the moment but we need to challenge ourselves can we do more as well mm. so if we look at say if we look now at uh, the credit union advisory council i suppose to begin with what is the credit union advisory council and who are they and what do they do 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a statutory committee um, and basically we advise the minister on the credit union sector and, and bring, I suppose, items to, to his attention. Um, also, there's a statutory component in terms of a consultation role we will play. And uh, it's about, I suppose, the, the betterment of the sector and, and making sure that, that the fundamentals are right. And the committee itself, I joined in 2018, late 2018, along with four other members. And um, the committee is made up of six people. Um, and it's, it's a very broad mix, which is fantastic. So in terms of the committee that I sit on, when, when I arrived, there was John Doyle and Claire Byrne, both credit union CEOs, um, who were already sitting on the committee. And then Olive McCarthy joined from UCC. Seamus Newcomb, um, who is CEO of PAYAC, and then Dermot O'Keefe, who um, is in Eisenhamper, um, and myself joined. So you, you have a very broad mix of skills. And certainly, um, from my perspective, the committee has been exceptionally active and doing. So I know we're an advisory committee, but a big thing for us was to, I suppose, really roll up our sleeves and say, well, actually, how can we make a difference and how can we impact um, we would obviously the, the Department of Finance provide the secretariat to uh, to the committee and we would work very closely with Brian Core, Leonard Wall and Tom Byrne, who I have to say are huge support and um, are very accessible to the sector, um, I, I would would say. And, and it's certainly something that the sector um, should be should be using to, to best effect um, in terms of of how accessible and I suppose um, progressive I would find that team and um, so the committee has been working very hard um, through 2019 we were doing a whole body of work particularly around credit union directors and um, when we looked at it um, the directors had never really been spoken to before so no one had really gone out and gone actually you know where are your pressure points what do you think what can be done and we conducted a, a survey. We did held a couple of focus groups and then conducted a survey. And there was a whole body of work that took place um, over the course of 2019. And a report was published in early 2020. And that report has a number of recommendations. Some of them relate to legislation. Some of them, um, you know, would be central bank recommendations. And some of them are back to the sector itself. But I suppose what we try to do the whole way through is how do we stand back from this and say, look, what are the things that can be done that can help the sector with the backdrop of the challenges that it faces? And that's the key piece here. Um, I think we're all very painfully aware of, of the uh, the challenges that the credit union sector face at the moment. So it's I suppose it's about trying to get all of the moving parts pulling in the same direction as much as they can. And that director's report tries to, to do that from that perspective in terms of the questions that the directors are the answers that the directors came back with in terms of of where they see the pressure points or what could change to help them. As a sector, I suppose we see ourselves with certain challenges. And I, as you say, QWIC has done a huge amount of work in the last couple of years, as you said there about the director's survey, but also loan interest rate mm -hmm. cap, also looking at AGM participation, common bond, just to name yeah. a few of the papers issued. What would QWIC currently see as maybe the top two or three areas that credit unions really need to focus on to get us through these challenges? Yeah, I think um, the top one would be collaboration. If, if you were to just put it out there in one word, it's all around collaboration. Um, 
And actually, one of the things that we did do and, you know, an, an underlying theme that has been there, obviously, since the start is obviously the, the pressures that the the, um, the sector faces. And very early on in, in 2020, we realized, actually, you know, we probably need to pull something together here to make this more manageable because we're an advisory committee appointed by the minister. And therefore, it's incumbent on us to advise. And um, we wanted to pull together a paper and also it was requested by the minister in terms of what are the challenges and what recommendations would we make in terms of where the sector sees itself and, and the, the challenges it's facing. So once the director survey report was finished in, in uh, February 2020, we immediately launched into um, producing a report. It hasn't been published. It's for the, the minister's um it's for it's for his view only at the moment. And we get, delivered that to the minister in June um, of 2020. And essentially what we tried to do in that report was to pull together and we would have, have, have uh, got consultations from the representative bodies as part of this. But we would have pulled together a set of recommendations that the committee felt if these are implemented, this can make a difference to the sector. Now, there's no silver bullet. I think we all, we're all aware of that. You know, there's there's lots of different levers that need to be pulled and in some cases at the same time. But what we really tried to do when we spent a long time doing it was how do you make this as easy as possible to implement? Now, legislation is never easy. You know, regulation clearly has its own issues. But, you know, what can be tangible that we can try and, and, and put in place? So that, that report went to the minister and obviously Minister Donoghue and Minister Fleming would have that. And we've spoken to both of them about it. Um, and that is forming part of the, the thoughts that are going on in terms of the policy review. So, uh, sorry, in a long-winded way, back to your question of, you know, what, what needs to happen. That report obviously contains a number of recommendations. But for us, I think collaboration is, is a key piece. And for me personally, when you look at the sector and what the sector is doing and what, you know, what can unlock the potential that's there, it's when the, the sector works collaboratively. That's where you're you're seeing the the, the big successes at the moment yeah. from my perspective. I'd have to say I completely agree with you on that as well. And I suppose I have been involved in a few collaborative initiatives myself and PAC being probably the most successful of those so far as well. And you know, you can see where a group of credits come together with a clear goal and clear mission, what can be achieved. And, you know, PAIC as a collaborative initiative has delivered current accounts now to almost 40 credit unions serving over a million members. And I think we need to, That's a, I think that should be more of a case study should be done around PAIC and its success. And how can we encourage more of that? And it's that collaborative ethos, if we can develop that within the sector and not, I think it's important that the sector doesn't try to keep everything in little groups, but actually we work together with each other. We have a number of representative bodies, number of you know interest groups, and in some ways they're all trying to protect their own patch. But I think we need to take much more of a, a mature approach to it to ensure that we work together and see where the where the commonalities are between us to deliver on that. And I was looking at the Abcol strategic plan actually last night mm -hmm. and again very interesting I know Abcol went had have gone through a bit of a tough patch similar to the Irish League credians Abcol tried to deliver an IT project in in recent times which failed and cost a significant amount of money and and they've sort of gone back to, to, to the drawing board and, and fair play to them and they've come up with a new strategic plan and collaboration is a huge part of their strategic plan but again it's in the way of bringing people together not trying to 
could keep control of it, but bringing the groups together to ensure that there is a, an environment that, that encourages collaboration. And I know on the CEO forum as well, recently published a paper on collaboration, and that's actually a very good paper. The working group on that now did a very, very good job on it. They looked at the ISO standards around collaboration as well to look at actually what is best practice in collaboration. So I think that is very much definitely something we need to do as a sector. I suppose another thing I'd see Absolutely. is a huge challenge as well is the a lot of credit unions now are not they've put in share caps anyhow, but a lot of credit unions are reducing the amount of shares members can hold them. I think that's not just a credit union problem. I actually think that's a consumer protection issue as well. And I think it's I don't think we're doing enough as credit unions to ensure that our local local members, people close to the credit union with local services, should be able to bring their savings to the credit union and hold on to the savings. And you know, by forcing people 70, 80 years of age to take money out of the credit union, I don't think we are we're actually doing enough to fight for our members' rights and fight to protect their their rights. So I think we need to do more than that. And I know I've put it out there on a on a video I did as part of the league campaign that we should be looking at 10% reserves for loans and 4% reserves against our investments. And that would actually allow us to have a balance sheet that we can sustain into the future and hold on to the money belonging to our members. Now, that would actually give us another problem is how do we get a return on that money? But I think first and foremost, we need to look after, after your members. Would QWIC have a position on that yet? Or is that an area that you can talk about? Um, it wouldn't be something I could talk about, but there have there definitely thoughts that QUAC have had on this and recommendations that have been put forward in terms of, of the pressure that's on, on savings. I mean, you even look at the latest financial conditions report, you know, savings have grown to 19.4 billion and that's with share caps in place. You know, so it's it's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's not a new COVID thing. It was happening beforehand. So this is this is a an enduring pressure that the sector is facing. So absolutely, yeah. um, I, the the Kuak would would have a view on it. I think it, as a sector, that, that's yeah. Like I think as a sector, we actually need to realise that our business model has changed. You know, where yes. we're very much of the opinion our business model is credit, and we should be seventy percent loans to asset ratio, which ideally we should be, but. The environment we're in no longer actually can give us a 70% loan to asset balance sheet because there's just too much savings out there. So we have to accept to ourselves, first of all, that our model has changed and then approach the central bank, approach the partner finance, say, okay, we no longer have, a, our business model is no longer just loans. We need to expand the, our business model. We need to expand, therefore, the regulations for the business model and bring in, like, like what I've suggested there in different reserves requirements for the different parts of the business model. And obviously protecting member shares is a critical part of that as well. I suppose another area Absolutely. that you've been very heavily involved in on QAC as well and as part of a report, and again, it's an area that myself and yourself have spoke about quite a bit beforehand as well, is the interest rate cap. How is that yes. prog progressing? There's different at times you hear, you hear it coming back to the fore again. How is that progressing at the moment and are we anywhere closer to having that resolved? Yeah, and obviously, you know, 2020 and legislation didn't go according to plan, certainly for, yeah. for a whole host of reasons, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, I understand that uh, the drafting of that um, of that change is currently taking place and that the department will issue something in due course in terms of, of the wording on that. And that hopefully it will it, it is something that will be addressed um, as part of 2021. Um, and I think the legislative timetable is, you know, obviously, you know, we don't know how that's going to progress with restrictions and and and, and different pressures there. But hopefully that that will progress 
sooner rather than later. But these things do take a long time. Yeah, yeah. Look at it. I think again, yeah. that's an area that I have spoken on in the past, and I know in submissions that our credit union have made to the central bank and different consultation papers, we actually suggested mm-hmm. to increase the cap to three percent per month. And our rationale behind that was actually to allow us as a credit union to get out into the community to provide a competing service with the money lenders. Like the money lenders are out in the community knocking on doors, which actually provides a lot of convenience for that for the for the people they serve. And if we really want to tackle the money lenders, I believe that we have to be able to do the same thing. Go out on the on the doors, knock knock on the doors and actually provide that same competing service. You know, and if we had to go to 3% per month, it's 36% per annum. It's still a lot cheaper than the 140, 150, 160% per annum that money lenders are charging. And it would be good value for money for our members. And hopefully then we'd get to bring our bring those people in as you know as standard members of the credit union where they can avail of lower rate of loans in the future as well. So I think it's an area that we need to work on. And I know it was one meeting I was on before. And a suggestion was made, actually, and and I think this is the suggestion should be followed: is let's just remove the li- limit completely. Why is there a mm. limit? You know, banks don't have a limit. Mm. We we should have a limit. So rather than talking about increasing two percent, let's maybe talk about removing it. So I suppose look at that. that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that then yeah. would allow us to compete and allow us to actually price the risk for dealing dealing with that mm. higher risk lending that we should be looking after people with and but also we need to protect ourselves and protect our, our other members and i suppose look that nicely moves us on then to the pmc loans as well so how are the, how is the pmc program going at the moment is it going well or how many credits have taken taken it up would you like to see more credits taking it up yeah i suppose i, I suppose the, the personal microcredit if you kind of split it into two pieces which is which is where we're at with it the first is and this was what was launched you know back in late 2015 at this stage was the it makes sense loan and clearly core credit union are very familiar with that you you're the biggest user of it and and hopefully you know as as each day goes by people are still using it and 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 getting huge value out of it in terms of being able to to move into the credit net and and build up a credit history and but the it makes sense loan what we did there was we took what was deemed one of the riskiest cohorts which are cash social welfare recipients and said look with the right supports can we help these people and can we get them to have a, a credit record which you know you and i would i suppose take a little bit for granted but that through circumstance, you know, whatever it may be, context of, of of where they've come from, they just haven't had that opportunity to date. And a, a big thing about the It Makes Sense loan is the willingness to repay as well as the ability. And that's it's something we learned very, very early on, that willingness is almost more important than capacity to repay. Um, and so, you know, the, the It Makes Sense loan at the moment is is only for people who collect cash um, in the, the post office in terms of using the household budget. Sometimes they, you do give It Makes Sense loans when people are paying by EFT, but that's a very small proportion of what's there because a lot of those individuals will qualify for standard lending. So we would have a situation where about 50 percent of credit unions would offer It Makes Sense loans. And, you know, that's been static for quite a while. And, you know, there were a number of debates of, you know, hang on a second, how can we not get 100 percent and can we not get buy in from all credit unions? And when you talk to credit unions, they say that, you know, they do care about people in their communities using money lenders and they do want alternatives. So why aren't they offering this loan? And actually, when you stand back from this, and I think that this is important for the sector itself, credit unions operate independently, as we all know. Um, it makes sense 
actually makes sense for some credit unions, but it doesn't for others. So other credit unions may have local initiatives. They may qualify uh, or be able to handle whatever's going on in their community through standard lending. So would feel that they don't need to be in the initiative. And I suppose we got to the place where we actually wanted to join the dots in terms of it doesn't really matter whether a credit union offers an It Makes Sense loan or not. What really matters is that a credit union is open for small loan business for those that are willing and able to repay within their communities. That's what we really mind about. That's that's what I suppose our, our whole aim is. It's all about affordable credit. So when you look at that and the conversations that we would have with, with the credit unions who don't want to come into the initiative, they would say, we do this anyway. We're already covered. We, you know, we we feel that if somebody in our community needs a small loan, that's that's okay. That's accessible. And you know, I think that from from our point of view, that's important that that message is understood because there may be a variety of reasons why why a credit union may not want to actually sign up to the initiative, but effectively they're doing the same thing. Um, yeah, look, I, I do think a lot of credit unions are doing the small loans. So you're saying 50% of credit unions have taken part in it. I'd say if you spoke to a lot of the other 50% of credit unions, they are doing small loans. And it'll be, you know, ourselves, even before we ever did PMC loans, we still did loans for 50 euro here. You know, it was something that you do anyhow as a credit union. But I do, like what I would say to credit unions who are maybe thinking about getting involved in it, the structure around it is very important and having a cohesive message nationwide actually lets people know that, that we're doing this and having that strong messaging, that strong, consistent approach, credit union to credit union, makes it easier for all credit unions individually, one way or another, but also just for the ordinary member of the public to understand, yes, this is something we can avail of from the local credit union. So I would, like, I would actually ask other credit unions who are thinking about it, they should consider it. The other thing I would see is a huge positive out of it is the on post uh, what's it called the budget the budget system from the household, household budget, budget from yeah. on post like we have all of the payments coming in on a weekly basis one file coming in Wellington who are our, our computer system is they actually process that file so that file goes to Wellington and Wellington then distribute distort this distribute that file onto our system and it goes into all of our members accounts so we actually have very little work to do we've literally only five or ten minutes work to do on a weekly basis to get all of those transactions posted. So it's a very efficient scheme for the credit union and yes. actually a partnership with Unpost. It's a partnership that should be explored further and can we expand that, expand that partnership further with Unpost. So look, I, I think there's lots of advantages of it. I do think there are, say, credit unions do have sort of valid concerns about it as well. And the interest rate definitely is one of those concerns. And 1% a month, is it enough to cover the risk and the cost of providing that? It's probably not. I know figures that I've produced in the past show that yeah. maybe we're at break even at best, but really we do need to be getting up to 1.5% to 2% a month to actually cover the cost of it properly. But like I think by doing it and by having the data, we can actually go back and look for, okay, we want to do more of this, and but we need to do it at 2% a month to make it make it worthwhile yeah. and to cover the cost and cover the risk of doing it. So, yeah, look, at I think it's, exactly. it's a good. And, like, I'm delighted here in our credit union as well and the common bond that we have as well. Like, it's, yeah, it took off hugely. And I know we were there from day one. We were ready. We were, you know, our staff were ready. We, had, we did a lot of training with our staff beforehand. So when they actually start coming in the door, 
the fact that we are ready, it sort of it just snowballs and it's a snowball very quickly. And like it did put us under pressure at, at the time as well. And it came at a time of the year when we were busy anyhow, so it did put us under pressure. But it definitely snowballed. And you know, for what would be considered an affluent area of the country here in Dunleary, the fact that you know we're probably we're the number one provider of the PMC loans nationwide, it shows the need for that and it actually shows how successful having a, a good approach to PMC loans or a consistent approach can actually deliver for credit unions. So you know, look at something that I, I ask other credit unions to actively consider. What's your, what? oh, absolutely and, and we'd be very keen to talk to anyone who will who who would like to join up and join that voice. And you know, I, and as you say it is important. I think a key part in terms of the it makes sense loan that we've really learned is that whole how you can graduate somebody and it's back to that it's it's almost financial education in terms of taking somebody in, letting them understand what a, a, a track record, a good credit track record means, what savings mean and, and how they can progress and how that, that can impact their overall financial health and how they manage money. Um, and, and I suppose that that is, that is a big piece of, of what that product is about, because you don't just sit on an It Makes Sense loan forever. You, you graduate. Yeah, that, yeah, that, is, yeah. that is a big component of it. Yeah, and it's a hugely but, positive part of it as well when you see the people graduating from the from the PMC loan into a you know fully a full proper loan. And we've had great successes with our members here where, mm -hmm. you know, they've got members who've got PMC loans use it as part of training or to buy equipment and then get a job and then they're in looking for a car loan 12 months later, which is fantastic to see that graduation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly, and as I said, that was the riskiest cohort that we took as part of the It Makes Sense. But a big, big piece of what we've done under the PMC initiative as well is the piece of research that took place with UCC in relation to interest rate restrictions on, on money lenders and the whole activity that's going on in the background around that. So, um, you know, that, that is a big piece as well, because our big argument would be that when you look at what's what what is licensed every year in terms of what money lenders are allowed charge, you have to question the, the morality around that. And it's all down to we will believe the, the business model that's deployed and the fact that somebody can come to your home every week and and you can build up that relationship and you know, any of the research that's been done and, you know, any of the, the feedback that we will, go, will get is, you know, once you're in that home collection money lending cycle, it's very, very difficult to break free from it. And we would see that even with the people who who would look to access it, make sense loans and move from money lenders. So a huge part of, of, of the puzzle we would see is not only do we have to make credit available and accessible, and the credit unions are a, a perfectly placed sector to do that because they're in every community. It's the ethos and, you know, it, it, that really does, you know, provide that that accessibility to affordable credit. But a large part of this is on the other side of the equation, it's allowing that interest rate to prevail. Yeah. And one of the things that we would say is we're not looking to put money lenders out of business. You know, they do provide a service, whether you and I might like it or not. They do provide a service and some people absolutely love it. And they would get, you know, quite quite good feedback um, in terms of their, their customer base. Um, but the way in which that business is conducted, we would challenge. And particularly in light of what's going on at the moment with fintech, also with COVID and restrictions, those home collections shouldn't have taken place. So what happened in lieu of that? Um, can you move people 
um, and with the right supports, can you take somebody who needed that weekly collection to to almost keep that credit record up? Is it possible to migrate them onto a more remote repayment method, which clearly is cheaper? Um, and they're the, the real things that we would like to see challenged, because if the interest rate cap was put in place, that model, that costly model has to be called into question. And, and how can that be changed so that people can access affordable credit? Yeah, I think affordable credit is a key thing as well. And if you look at go back to the foundations of credit unions, that's not a term that's used very frequently now, but usury practices. You know, credit unions were mm. set up established to prevent the usury practices of money lenders. And you know, the what's behind that is when the, the rates of interest being charged by the money lenders are so high, you can never get out from in under them. You'll always be caught by them because you're paying so much interest on a weekly basis. You'll never be able to get into a situation where you where you don't need credit. And I think that's where credit unions can. Yeah, we've for sixty years we've been trying to fill that role, and we obviously haven't succeeded at it because money lending is is still as prevalent now as it's ever been. And I think we need to do more on that because, and we've seen it with our own figures here, where you know members gone through three three PMC loans. We've always insisted from day one, and probably technically from day one we weren't supposed to insist, but we've always insisted that to put a small amount into savings. And then they can begin to see, actually, better, I have €200 Euro savings here now. I never had that before. So they can actually see a way out for themselves. So I think it's very important on that. And again, I would agree with you when you say, like, I think we should be trying to restrict interest rates, but money lenders do play an important role. And mm-hmm. if we are, if unions are really to fulfill our sort of one of our original purposes, we do. I think we need to be out there providing supports to people on the ground and into community because there are a cohort of people that no matter what you do, they can't help themselves. They actually need help, and that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other. You know, thankfully most people are able to help themselves, but there are a small cohort of people that will that do need help and do need a need a helping hand all of the time. And I think we need to accept that that there are a small group of people, and we're that's what that's what social that's what social finance. That's what a good social system should do is making sure those who can't help themselves have somebody else to look after them. And I think we need to do more around that. And I suppose on the Absolutely. interest rate restrictions, are we are we near to a conclusion on that as well? Are we where are we with that? I know Pierce Doherty, I think, was talking about it recently. How are we on he that? Was, yeah, he he reinstigated his private members bill, and then um, I suppose on the other side of that, there was the public consultation on on money lender interest rate caps that the Department of Finance issued in two thousand and nineteen. And that public consultation took place, I believe there was over 20 um, submissions and the Department of Finance are progressing their own thoughts on that um, in terms of recommendations. So what you're seeing is obviously Pierce Doherty has his his uh, his private members bill and you also have the Department of Finance looking at this. So, you know, and I, I believe it's on the um, the finance Arrakis committee agenda as well. So you're hoping um, you have that political energy behind it at the moment. And I will be hopeful that, you know, you will you will begin to see some movement in terms of of something happening in that realm. I think, you know, a a big bit of the, the drum that we will beat is the morality of it. And also it is possible, given the credit union structure we have, given the fact that you've got the institutions such as MABs, you have, you know, a really good community and voluntary sector within Ireland. It's really robust. You know, can, 
can we plug all of the gaps that are needed to help people? And also, we're not trying to put money lenders out of business. We're just we're, we're trying to make sure credit is affordable and 187 percent as a typical rate is not affordable yeah, credit. Yeah, agreed. Just one final thing then before we finish up, just before I forget about it. The programme for government has a commitment in it to review the credit union legislation. I suppose in one sense, we definitely need to look at our business model. So we definitely need to look at the regulation and legislation underpinning our current model. So that does need to be changed. But do we have time for a review like that at the moment? Are there certain things that we should be trying to get in place first before a review is done? Or is a review just pushing out a decision that needs to be taken today and leaving it for two, three years when it could be too late to make that decision? What's your feelings around that? Yeah, I think it's it's obviously one that has come up in, in the context of of Kuak and you know uh, we um we're obviously looking at our work plan for 2021 and we have two new members um Claire Byrne and, and John Doyle have have rotated off and we have Elizabeth Bulger and Michael Hearn who have joined so we're looking at the, the program of work and we have a number of recommendations out of the two reports that we issued last year that we'd love to see progressed but obviously with a policy review, you can't progress something and change one small bit of legislation if you're looking at other things. So it all needs to be done together. Mm. Um, we would be hopeful that any policy review or the policy review is is swift. Um, you, there isn't the luxury of doing a, a long, detailed policy review whereby this you know, is something that get, gets into a bit of a rabbit hole and, and holds things up. Um, but we would absolutely look to to have a, a swift policy review that that is very timely for the the sector. I think you've got two ministers that are very engaged. There's recommendations that that are there that can be acted on. I think it's given the sector a great opportunity to have a voice of actually these are the things that we really need looked at. And you have a Department of Finance that is is very open. Uh, to that conversation and really looking to progress it. So, you know, if you if you were to say, it, is it going to be a detailed or would, you know, what, what would I think about it, a, a detailed policy review? I would say, oh, you know, please don't let this grow legs, but absolutely use the opportunity that's there. And I would like to think that the sector is able to do that, that it can collate together very quickly. Look, these are our asks and let that progress. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of recommendations that are there. There's a lot of reports that exist and a department who's willing to progress them and ministers who have, have an open ear. So, you know, a, a perfect storm you know, in yeah, terms no, of, of also getting stuff done. Yeah, so and, and I think you've made a very valid point there. Obviously, I've been keeping quite close eye on what, what's happening at QUIC and what's happening at a department level. And I think we're actually very fortunate with a very strong, the QUIC committee at the moment are very strong and very good people on it. I think they... Department of Finance has some very good people in there who really have the best interests of credit unions at heart, understands the value that credit unions are bringing to, bringing to society, not just from the financial side of it, but I, I think actually they, they get the social side as well. I think they understand the social impact of credit unions as well. So, And I, I do believe the two ministers we have are very open to credit unions as well. So I think we're actually in a fortunate position at the moment with you know, some people, great people in great positions who actually want to see the credit unions doing well. So hopefully we'll be able to, we'll be able to make the most of that. 
And look, at, I'd like to thank you now, Lorraine, as well, for coming on. Look, at, we had a great conversation there. And I suppose before yeah, we... really enjoyed it. Yeah, look, it was great. And I suppose before we finish up, is there anything you'd like to plug about your own business? Any sort of anything that you, you're looking, any business you're looking for, anything you'd like to promote about yourself, if you would like to take this opportunity? Well, certainly my main opportunity would be if there is any credit union out there who would like to talk about It Makes Sense, the personal microcredit initiative in its its totality in terms of interest rate restrictions or financial inclusion, we would be delighted to hear from you. Very good. And I just, I was looking through your website, obviously, before this as well. And I see on your website, you have a section where about strategic planning around corporate and social responsibility. So I'd actually suggest that's probably an area that some credits maybe should consider thinking about as well. I know we're going to be looking at our new strategic plan shortly as well. And where obviously we're a social business, that's what we do. But sometimes it's no harm to have somebody coming in from the outside to actually question what you're doing and challenge what you're doing. And, you know, you can only get better results when, when you take a proactive approach to it. So I'd suggest that that's something that an area that credits could consider as well when they're looking at their corporate social responsibility side, that they're actually bring, building, that, building that into their strategic plans as well. And it's probably an area you could help out on as well. Absolutely. No, thank you for saying that. That would be great. Yeah. So look, so that's it for this episode. So for any of you listeners there, I'd like you to please subscribe on iTunes or YouTube or any podcast player of your choice. The website is now up and live at www.cud.ie. Again, you can get all the links for subscribing there or join the forum or the Discord server for a forum if you want to have a chat or discussion about any topics and suggest topics coming up. So hopefully we'll talk to you soon with the next episode of Credium Discussions. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Credit Union Discussions. Please subscribe on iTunes and leave a comment or any other podcast app of your choice. Check out our website on www.cud.ie and register for our forum and leave a message or a suggestion and join the conversation.